about what it looks like to have a godly response to need. How many of you have ever been in need before? Should be all of us because we all need something at, at one point or another, right? There are needs that we encounter every single day. Uh, there are needs that I thank God for that have been met, like my need for air, for oxygen. That's been met today, and it continues to be met, so I feel pretty good about that. Um, the need for food, for nourishment, the need for water. A lot of problems that we have in our bodies is because we're not properly hydrated. We need water. We have all sorts of physical needs that we think that we encounter every day, and when they're met, we thank God for. We also have the eternal needs that we have, the need for God, the need for salvation. And praise God that because he has met our need for salvation, we can have fellowship with him, we can have relationship with him, and because he died on the cross and rose from the dead, we can say with confidence that our eternal security rests in good hands because of Jesus Christ. Amen? He met a need that we could not personally meet. And so if we have all of these needs that we encounter every single day, then it would be wise of us to ask, what is a godly response to those needs? We see, if we take a look at the news, and we take a look at some of the things that have happened throughout the last couple of days throughout the last few weeks and through the months and through the years, we have seen that people have recognized a need and they have responded one way or the other. Some have responded negatively. They've responded in evil. Some have responded in a righteous and just way. So what does it look like to respond to needs in a godly biblical way? Well, for us, I think, obviously, taking a look at the Word of God as followers of Christ, we take a look at His Word to find out what is a good and appropriate response to life. And so when we take a look at the Word of God, we see various different things like this Good Samaritan. A man who was beaten and robbed and on the side of the road, he was a man in need. And we saw various different responses we saw a first few guys who came by and they, their response was to ignore and to not do anything about it. And then we eventually found somebody who saw that need and responded in an appropriate way. We take a look at the offering that Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9. He was taking an offering that would meet a specific need. And he was exhorting the Thessalonians for their response to that need. But he was also encouraging the Corinthians and helping them to respond in an even better way than they did before. We see the feeding of the 5,000 where there was the group of people who were away from food and away from water and they were, uh, and, and the disciples responded, let's send them away. And Jesus responded, let them come closer. Let them come here. We will meet their need. And so we see passages all throughout the Bible that 
that we see people who are encountering need and they respond one way or the other and all the while God is saying, I am calling my people to respond to need in an appropriate way, in a way that gives life, in a way that gives hope. So we're going to be taking a look at the next two weeks and we're going to have a survey of the book of Ruth and we're going to look at what it looks like for people to respond to need in a godly way. So with that, would you please go with me to Romans chapter 1, or to Romans, <laughs> Ruth chapter 1. I love Romans, but we're not going to be looking at that. I read Romans so much that it just comes out. So as we take a look at Ruth chapter 1, we're going to start with verse 15. Let me give you a little bit of background on the book of Ruth. The book of Ruth occurred at the exact same time as the book of Judges. So if you take a look in your Bible and you see Judges and you see Ruth, those things are happening at about the same time. We see that the book of Judges happens after Moses has been raised up, after he's delivered God's people out of Egypt, after they wander through the desert, not because of their own stupidity, but because of their own disobedience. And so they wandered in there for a while, and because of Moses' disobedience, he couldn't go into the promised land, and Joshua went in. And so after Joshua led the people of Israel into the promised land, and they started to make a life for themselves, they lived under what we call a theocracy. So we have a president, right? In other par parts of the world, they have a king. In a theocracy, there wasn't anybody who was over anybody else. It was a group of people who were living the best they can according to God's law. With that kind of thing, how many of you know that it doesn't take that much for things to get a little goofy? And so occasionally, God's people would ignore God's law and occasionally get into some goofy stuff. And then God would raise up who, somebody who they called a judge to prophesy and say, you have gotten yourself out of God's will, out of God's way, and we are calling you to go back and turn back to God. He will deliver you from all of this pestilence that you have brought your way. And so... During this time, famine hit the land. Who knows if that famine was brought about as a part of discipline from God or whether that was just a natural thing that happened. But because there was famine in the land, a woman named Naomi and her husband decided that it was no longer profitable for them to be in Bethlehem. So they went to move from Bethlehem to the land of Moab. The Moabites were descendants of a man named Lot who was a nephew of Abraham. So that means that the Moabites and the Israelites were blood relatives. But because the Moabites didn't directly descend from Abraham, they weren't a part of God's chosen people. So they were related, but they were two different people groups. And sometimes they got along, sometimes they don't. If you have any family at all, you realize that sometimes you get along with family and sometimes you don't. There's not, sometimes there isn't a whole lot of reason why, it just happens. But for whatever reason, the, the people in Bethlehem and the people in Moab had a really good relationship. That's why 
Naomi and her husband went there. There was food there. There wasn't famine. They thought that they, could, they would be treated um, well. And so when they went to Moab, they ended up having two sons. The sons grew up, and the sons realized there is a lot of Moabite women around, and you know what? We really like some of them. In fact, it would be great if we married, you know, at least one. And so those two sons ended up marrying Moabite women. They were the only women around. And after they got married, there's something that we find in the book of Ruth that isn't really explained, but it's a tragedy. Both, Naomi's, both, both of her sons... It did this during the first service, about this point, too. All right. Both of her sons and her husband passed away. She lost all the men of her life, and the Bible doesn't really explain why. So here Naomi finds herself with two of her daughter-in-laws, And Naomi is bitter. She realizes she has lost all means of someone taking care of her. And she's lost her loved ones. And so her response was one of bitterness. She looked at her daughters-in-laws and said, you know what, I'm going to go from Moab back to Israel because the famine is over. But I encourage you, please don't follow me. If you follow me, no good will happen and you won't be able to take care of yourself. So please don't follow me. One of the daughter-in-law said, oh, I will never leave you, I'll never leave you, I'll never leave you. Go, okay, and she left. The other daughter-in-law was Ruth. And so we pick up in Ruth chapter one, starting in verse 15, we see Naomi's final appeal to Ruth in verse 15, and we see Ruth's response in verse 16. So let's read together. And she said, See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there, will, and there I will be buried. May the Lord do so t- to me, and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more. So we see here Ruth has a very big problem. Her husband died, and she has her mother-in-law where all the other men died, died in her life. So she has her mother-in-law who she cares about. Does she take care of her, or does she take care of herself? Sure, certainly it would have been easier for Ruth to stay in Moab. It was the place that she has known all of her life. She has never been to Israel. And so she could stay with family. 
she could stay in this land that she's always known, and it probably she would have been able on her own efforts to be able to provide for herself. She knows the gods that she worships there. It was a, the religion that they had back then. They had a lot of idolatry. There was multiple gods. And there were some scholars that even suggest that perhaps there was child sacrifices there in, as a part of their religion. That's what she knew. But then she met her husband, the man of God, and she was a part of a family, all of which worshipped the one true God. So she knew one thing all of her life growing up, and then she encountered God and his people. And she made a decision right there that we just read that I could stay here and continue worshiping these gods, but I have encountered God's people, and I have encountered the one true God, and and far be it for me to do anything else but to stay by my mother-in-law and not only am I going to stay by her I am going to embrace her God is my God because he is far greater than anything that I've experienced and worshipped so you see with us as followers of Christ we can look at the needs around us and we can look at the needs of our own life and we can try everything on our own to meet those needs with our own resources but eventually they will run dry our re- we are not uh, we are not uh, omnipotent people with the abundance of resources I don't know about you but when I look in my wallet and I look on the inside, there is not an abundance of cash that is just waiting to fly out of there. In, f- in fact, there are times where it can be a little depressing of what I see in here. And so I have only a certain amount of resources. And so I can look at my life and I can say, okay, I need to buy food. It's probably not going to be more than that, but for sake of illustration, just bear with me. I need clothes. I need shelter. And then I see the needs around me. And I see other people are hungry too. And I see that other people need shelter. And I see that there is seemingly people who are not getting a fair shake in life. And so I have, there's injustice that I need to address too. And there's, uh, there's people who are in slavery. And, and, and there's violence and crime. And, and, and there's education. And at the end of the day, we have all of this money all of these needs that we're trying to meet, and eventually we find ourselves going, um, <laughs> I can't do anymore. Which is why we must do what Ruth did. We must trust God. We must start there first because his resources never run dry. He has a well that you continually can draw from over and over and over again. And if we do not start there first, then we are just going up to a certain point, running out of gas, and we can't go any further. We will never reach the finish line if we don't trust God first. He is the one 
that provides all of our needs. He is the one that provides healing when we're sick. He is the one that provides salvation when we are in the midst of sin. He is the one that leads us and guides us into all truth. If we are to get anywhere in our relationships with others, if we are to get anywhere in our relationship with God, and if we are gonna get anywhere in meeting needs in a godly way, we must first trust God. Our second point, our first point was to trust in God. Our second point is to work hard. Those two seem to be at odds with one another. And I, it seems like with the church, it seems like I have encountered people, including myself, that try to work hard but don't trust God. They put all of their efforts and their energies and they run out just like I just said. They, they, they can't get any further because their resources are few and they're trying hard to do everything and they can't do it. And then you have people on the other side who trust God and they say, I'm trusting God, he will deliver me, he will do all this thing, he will fix the world, and yet they remain firmly planted on their butts in their seats. And we find that God is calling people to go out and to do the work of the kingdom, and yet there are too many of us who are willing to sit on our can and not do a doggone thing. And it is time for the people of God to actually get up and start working hard for the sake of the kingdom because that is what he has called us to do. Us trust, saying that we trust in God but not doing anything, that is a false trust. Because trust inspires you to react. It inspires you to act for the sake of what you are trusting. So if God has called you and you have responded saying, I trust you, God, then I hope that your next step after that is getting busy doing the work of the kingdom. That not only makes sense, that is what God has called us to do. Let's take a look at Ruth once again. Ruth chapter 2 this time, starting with verse 1. Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech. I have no idea if that's the right pronunciation, but I'm going to go with that. Whose name was Boaz? And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him, in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. So she set out, and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. That's probably not it. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem and said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to this young man who, has, who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, She is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi 
from the country of Moab, she said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came and she has continued from early morning until now, except for only a short rest. Ruth could have stayed at her home. She could have prayed to God and she could have waited for something to happen. But we find that Ruth ended up going into the fields herself and working to make sure that not only her needs were provided for, but that her families were provided for as well. She got dirty. She was there in the fields, picking things up, working in the dirt, carrying heavy, heavy things. I don't know about you, but I've lifted a lot of heavy things in my life, mostly for the sake of training for football. I got news for you. Now that I'm no longer a football player, I have no interest in lifting any more heavy things. I see a heavy thing and I think, you know what, that looks good right there. Let's leave it. We can build a monument. I don't want to lift any more heavy things. But there are times in life where things come up and whether someone put that there or I put it there myself and it needs to move, I need to pick it up and take it somewhere. There are times in life where we have to be willing to work hard. Now, I just, I just outed myself a little bit. I am a little bit lazy. Are any of you willing to admit that you're lazy? I find myself expending more energy trying not to work than me actually working. And I think there's a lot of people that fit that description. In fact, I looked on YouTube and saw a whole bunch of examples on people being lazy. So let's take a look at a clip of some of these folks.
two of the most egregious on that video, in my opinion, is the guy who is sitting on the box of his computer chair while he's at the computer because inside that box is the actual computer chair and instead of putting it together, he's just sitting on the box. Second one is the escalator that's going up to the fitness center, which seems to be a little strange to me. The runner-up is the taping of that portable soap dispenser to the soap dispenser. But anyways, how many of you have ever had one of these before? How many of you hate this thing as much as I do? I hate it because there are times where I find myself raking and then something weird happens like, I don't know, wind. And the wind takes this perfectly formed pile and scatters it abroad. And then I go throughout to the ends of the earth, raking it back together only for wind. There are times where we need to start working for the sake of the gospel. This is better that I, I find this more enjoyable raking cash than I do leaves. But... But I find that there are times that we try so hard and work so hard for a certain outcome that when the outcome doesn't happen, we get frustrated and we give up. We work hard for the sake of justice. And then we see injustice, the same injustice that we have been battling, not only for decades, not only for centuries, but since the beginning of time. Because all of humanity has fallen sick and fallen short of the glory of God. But we work hard for it, and something happens, and we're like, well, what do we do with that? We work hard for the sake of having our needs met, and only to find that yet again we struggle. We never seem to get ahead come here. I don't want you cord. And so we work hard and we always find that we find ourselves struggling yet again just to get ahead. We find ourselves working so much to invest in the lives of those that we love only for them to turn around and act like they don't appreciate it. And yet again, we ask ourselves, how do we respond to this? Is it worth it? Let me, let me encourage you today that there is one who has worked on your behalf and has worked in spite of your appreciation, has worked in spite whether or not you have shown him any love yourself, and that is Jesus Christ. He has worked and done more work than you could ever do for the sake of you coming to know him. And he showed that he was not afraid to get his hands dirty when he was here on this earth and his disciples were about ready to get something to eat and he took time to wash each and every one of their feet. Something that was unheard of for someone in his position to do. Nothing is below us as people of God. If you want to respond in a godly way to need, 
Not only should you be able to trust God, but you should be willing to get your hands dirty for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You should be able to be inconvenienced because Jesus did everything he could to show you love and care and he has called you to shine light in the midst of darkness. We better get busy. A godly response to need requires us to trust in God. It requires us to work hard and it requires us to care for others. Let's take a look at Ruth chapter 1 again. And we're going to take a look at verses 16 and 17. We've, always, we've already read it, but let me highlight it once again. But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord do so to me. More also, if anything but death parts me from you. Now take a look at Ruth here. She saw her mother-in-law, who lost all of her family. There is nobody else to look after her. She is on her own. And Ruth decides to respond to the need of her mother-in-law, even though she has her own needs, she decided, I'm going to make her a part of my circle so that I can see that our our needs are met together. And so allow me to challenge you today, who are the people in your life whose only hope is you? God placed you into that person's life for the specific purpose of having their needs met. If we are so consumed with our own needs that we refuse to look at the needs of others, then we are not true followers of Christ. A follower of Christ is called out of selfishness to care for those who are outside of them. And so who are the people in your life? Who is your Naomi? Who is the people are who are the people that would not hear would not experience the love of God if it wasn't for you? And let me ask you this question. How are you showing them love? Are you truly caring for them? Are you working hard? Are you getting your hands dirty for the sake of their needs being met? And if not, why? If God has called us to do this very basic thing, then why are we not doing it? We see in Ruth chapter 2, we see that Ruth goes out into, she finds a random field, she starts working, and she starts working it, and then she eventually meets Boaz, and Boaz sees her and expresses kindness to her. All of this was God's plan from the very beginning. If you take a look at God's law, and you take a look at Leviticus, 
and you take a look at Deuteronomy, and you will see over and over and over again God saying, reach out to the poor. Be people of justice. Be people of peace. Be people that will see a need and respond to it in a godly way over and over and over again. And in fact, they said, in fact, the law says that if you have a field, you can work the middle part, but you leave the outside corners and the outside edges, you leave that alone, and you leave that for those who are poor and those who are foreign. And so we see here a system in place where God said, my people are going to be a people who will be meeting the needs of others, whether they are a part of our family or not. So let me, let me exhort you today that no matter how often you go and gather your resources and, and you work hard and you do everything possible to grab all of this stuff, but if we hang on to all of this stuff and not drop it, but hang on to it and hold on to it, I dropped it again. And we have this hard heart and we cling so tightly to this thing that we think is ours and we're unwilling to meet the needs of others, then perhaps we are not really the people of God. God calls people and he says, I'm going to give you this access and this access is not for you to hang on to. This access is for you to meet the needs of others. And it's written right in the word of God. And yet we find so many excuses on why it is okay to ignore all of those passages. In, in Acts chapter 2, very end of the chapter, it gives a summary of the church. And it says the church were all together in one. That means they all cared for one another. They were all united. They had the same purpose. It also said that they would frequently sell things so that other people's needs were met and that they shared everything and had everything in common. In Acts chapter 4, it goes on to say even in stronger terms that they, there was nobody in need if you were a part of the people of God. Nobody in need. If we want to respond to a need in a godly way, we have to acknowledge that there are needs among us that need to be met. And that there are needs outside of these walls that God is calling us to meet. And it requires us to be willing to trust him and to get to work and get our hands dirty. Will you join me in this challenge of let's look at others and care for them the way Jesus would. Let's not dismiss them like the disciples did with the 5,000 but let's bring them closer. Let's invite them to be a part of us and let's meet their tangible needs where they're at. There was, I find that 
with us, with the church universal, we take things like justice and we take things like peace and we take things like hunger and poverty and for whatever reason we remain woefully silent when it comes to addressing those issues. And there are times where we are not only silent, we outsource those things. And we, for whatever reason, we want to address injustice and we want to, we want to address violence and we want to address those types of things. For whatever reason, we decide that we will let government take care of that. And that's not at all inappropriate. However, where are we as people of God? Are we invested in speaking out about those things? When it comes to poverty, when it comes to hunger and things like that, when it comes to slavery, we outsource that to parachurch ministries, and we should have those ministries. Those are good things. But if they are the only voices speaking out in the midst of the darkness while we remain silent and, and, and comfortable and in a place of convenience, then we are, we are woefully inadequate in preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. You see, God did not call us simply to have church here and us to remain comfortably in these chairs, only to leave and to ignore the world around us. Not only are we called to preach the gospel, but as you will read over and over and over again, the people of God look at the needs around them, get their hands dirty, and look to care for others. So let me ask you, how do you respond? What is your response? Do you find yourself complacent? Do you find yourself preaching a gospel of convenience all the while ignoring the gospel that Christ has called you to? As we put on some soft music around us, I'm going to ask us to consider some things. Christ has called us and we are called to trust him. Do we really trust him enough that as we see needs around us, do we cling tightly to this? Or are we willing to, are we willing to let go of our resources for the sake of meeting the needs of others? Are we willing to reach out to those around us and being willing for them to receive from us simply because that's what Christ has called us to do. What does it look like for a Christian 
to move in this culture and to go above and beyond the way, uh, the way Boaz did when Ruth came to, her, came, to, came to his field. Not only did she, was she able to work, if you read on through the rest of the chapter, he went on and said, hey, here's a bunch of other stuff. Take that home. What does it look like to go beyond the nice churchy thing to do and to go out to others and to invest in their life? What does that look like? For many of us as Christians, we say we're a follower of Christ and that means that Christ has saved us and he has implanted the Holy Spirit on the inside of us to transform us into the image of Christ. So if we find ourselves as followers of Christ and we are so unlike Christ's image when it comes to caring for one another, then perhaps, perhaps that is because we have rejected the Holy Spirit's work in us for that specific period, that specific area in our life. So when it comes to caring for others, are you generous? Are you involved? Do you care? Or do you find yourself, for whatever reason, finding yet another reason to distract you from being a peacemaker, being a person of justice, being a person that sees the needs around them and being willing to meet that need personally. If anyone needs more dollars, that's over here. Will you bow your heads with me? I don't want anyone to leave here today thinking that this service was so worthwhile because they got a dollar. I don't want anyone leaving here today thinking that this service wasn't worthwhile because they didn't get a dollar. But what I hope and what I pray is is that there are folks who are here in this room that hear the call of God who is asking them to forget themselves for a moment and look to see where the needs are and what they can do to personally be a part of the solution. For some of you today, perhaps you haven't been trusting God. Perhaps you don't even know him. Would you consider for a moment that this is the day of salvation for you? Would you consider that this is the day that you trust God and allow the Holy Spirit to shape and to transform you into who God has called you to be? For some of you, you have been on your butt for too long. And it's time for you to get off your butt and get to work. And for some of you, 
this is a chance for you to re-embrace the call to care for others and to care for people the way Jesus did. So whatever the Holy Spirit is speaking to your hearts, and that's what I ask of you today, is to allow the Holy Spirit to speak. You've, we've read some scriptures. The Holy Spirit is now here to speak to us today. And so is he speaking to your heart today? Is there something that needs to be adjusted? Is there something that he is calling you to? And so we, in a moment, are going to pray. And if you feel that you uh, need to pray about this and the Holy Spirit is speaking to your heart and you want to take some time to listen, then this is going to be your moment. But there might be somebody here today that is not a follower of Christ. They have not trusted in him completely. And perhaps they're not even sure what that even means. So if you are here today and that is okay for you to hear, to be here, we want you to be here. All of us have been in that place where we have found the need for Jesus Christ. And so if you are here today and you find yourself uh, being drawn to the possibility of following Jesus Christ and you want to know more about that, will you please raise your hand and look up and, me and make eye contact with me and I can agree with you and we can see each other a little bit later. So if that is you, raise your hands right now. Okay. So God, today we thank you. We give you praise. We thank you that you have called out, you have called out to us and that you have uh, delivered us from, uh, from hatred. You have delivered us from selfishness. You have delivered us uh, from, from evil and from sin. You have called us out of the pit and out of the darkness and you have brought us into the light and you have given us a firm place to stand. So God, thank you for that. And today, we choose to focus our hearts on trusting you. We choose to listen to you, Holy Spirit, when you say to us all of the different times that we don't trust you. Help us, God, to be transformed into who you have called us to be. Lord God, I pray that if we need to get back to work, if we need to work hard for the sake of meeting our own needs and meeting the needs of others, I pray that you would give us the strength and that we would have the obedience in our hearts to step out and to work hard for the sake of the gospel. And finally, God, I pray that we would look at the needs around us and that we would no longer be people of silence, that we would no longer be people to our, that keep to themselves, but that we would actively engage ourselves personally in meeting those around us and caring for those the way you did. So Lord, I pray that you would speak to our hearts, speak to our minds, and that whatever it is that we say, whatever it is that we post, whatever it is that we do, that we would do so in a way that communicates the love of Christ and the willingness to meet the needs of others. We thank you, God, and we give you praise.